Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibi Youssef. If you're not creating environments for people to thrive, if you're not leading with care, that's a problem because you have the ability to influence a third of people's lives. And so for me, I just, I'm mindful of that responsibility and I hope when people encounter me and I hope in the environments where I'm a shepherd or steward of culture, that people will walk away and be like, you know what, that guy in that environment, I'm rocking. Understanding your direct reports, avoiding team burnout. Those sound like worthy causes, right? PI Inspire promotes leadership at every level. Stop losing good people to avoidable issues like poor communication and a one-size-fits-all management approach and inspire them instead. Learn more at predictiveindex.com. Are you celebrating employee milestones like birthdays, anniversaries, or onboarding? What about customer milestones? Or even Employee Appreciation Day on March 1st? Don't let the chance to celebrate and spark joy slip away from you. You should check out Snappy, a gifting platform that takes all the guesswork out of gifting. Want to send a gift collection and let them choose their favorite? Snappy's got you covered. Need to send swag that people actually want? They've got it. Know what you want to gift? Great, because they can do that too. Deliver delight with Snappy every time for every occasion. Go to www.snappy.com slash I hate it here to sign up for free and start gifting today. Welcome back to another episode of the I Hate It Here podcast. Joining me is someone I'm very excited to join me today, mostly because the first time I met him, he roasted the shit out of me. I don't know if you remember that, but I met Donald. Donald, you can introduce yourself in a second, but I was so excited to meet him because I've been such a fan of where he works. And I think in like five seconds, you were like, now you're bullshitting me. I was like, no, I'm serious. I love where you work. So Donald, welcome. I'm glad you made it here today. Thank you for having me. I don't know if that's an accurate assessment. I, I did give you a hard time. I gave you a hard time. Roasted. Like, you were like roasting me. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, I feel like sometimes you probably, I know you see this as well. Like I think so often people will like blow smoke and like, I want to know like who you really are. So yeah, I roasted you a little bit. I don't blow smoke. So you had never that's met true. me. And I rolled up to you and you knew nothing about me and I'm not a smoker. I was telling you the straight up truth. I love where you work. He works at Greenhouse, which I've always been the biggest fan of. Sorry, I feel like I'm taking away your introduction. Do you no, want to tell right people what you do? I'm not used to this. Oh, really? Okay. I'm actually going to stop for embarrass myself. Donald, tell everyone where you work, what you do, who you are. I was Oops, enjoying dreams. that. I was enjoying Cheers. that. Um, no, Donald Knight, Chief People Officer for Greenhouse Software. What is Greenhouse Software? We're hiring software. Our thought is that we can help people hire better altogether. And when you look at all of the various tools that we provide, not just for candidates, but also for companies, we believe um, that we're creating a meaningful social impact because we're limiting bias inside of the hiring process by making sure that fairness, equitable experiences are for all of the candidates and their companies. So yeah, like if you want to know what that looks like, Happy to talk to you more about that. More importantly, I'm here to talk to Heba. Just, it's good to catch up. Now, uh, am I going to see nice you mate. in a couple weeks? Am I seeing you in a couple weeks? You are. I'm going to be at HR Transform. Awesome. I'm not as excited about Florida. Just sidebar. He, he great, but like Ludacris three years ago was really like the peak for me. And then Ludacris at the Super Bowl, also the peak for me. I love Ludacris. 
don't know what it is. Does it? It sounds like I should be making a pitch to have you move to Atlanta. You know, Atlanta influences everything. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard I would really like it, actually. I've only been once and I had really good coffee. So I was like, I could live here. Let's make it happen. Good coffee. I don't know. My partner never wants to live in the South, mostly because he doesn't like the hot weather. I can convince him. I'm a hot weather queen. I'm like, oh, it's hot outside. Like, let me go outside. It's like raining and snowing today in DC. And I was like, I'm not going to go anywhere for like three days now. (laughs) I don't like the cold. Are you kidding me? Not about it. Um, Okay, but Donald is here today. Sorry, I feel like we're going to track the entire podcast episode. Um, Donald's here today. We were already talking before we even hit record. We were having this like really thoughtful conversation about like life where we grew up. We shared a lot, actually. Um, sad that we didn't hit record and share that with everyone here. Uh, but I want to talk today about something that's really important to me and I think to you, like thriving and lasting care for employees. And I feel like that sounds like a little frilly, but it's not because we both care so deeply about the employee experience. First and foremost, I would say our generation, we've observed, while I'm older than you, by the way, I want to make sure okay, we don't have to tell people how old anyone is. Okay. I'm having a birthday. I'm in crisis about it. I'm not happy. I don't want to have this birthday. <laughs> what I would say is though, like for our generation, we observed what it looked like to see parents, aunts, uncles that weren't in the best situations when it came to work. And so for me, I became like a data nerd. So the average person works 90,000 hours. <laughs> 90,000 hours, which equates to roughly a third of our life. Yeah. And so like, if you're not creating environments for people to thrive, if you're not leading with care, that's a problem because you have the ability to influence a third of people's lives. And so for me, I just, I'm mindful of that responsibility and I hope when people encounter me and I hope in the environments where I'm a shepherd or steward of culture that people will walk away and be like, you know what, that guy in that environment, I'm rocking. I hope they say that I gave them something that allowed them to really be able to be as impactful and as creative as they can be. And what we have found is like studies show we don't bring our stress, anxiety, concerns to the door of the workplace and say, you know what? I'll pick you back up at 5 p.m. I got to go to work. Like, no, that doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen that way. And so for me, like I've always felt like if I can help address a majority of the things that prevent people from being creative, meaning the stress, the anxiety, things that matter to them outside of work, then it allows them to show up to be a better version of themselves at work. So I don't believe in employee benefits. I believe in essentials. How do you give people the essentials they need to thrive? And I do that because I care. I love that so much. The stress thing is so interesting because like I read that study, like 50% of people are stressed at work. So you think about the average workday and everyone in your environment, you're like 50% of you are stressed. I mean, I'm stressed, but like (laughs) separate. But I'm I'm thinking about that and I'm like, there's so many things that cause stressing, like stressors outside of work really do impact what you said, like your day-to-day in work, like financial stress is a big one. And so like we've seen people when the student loan debt was, or your student loans were paused for two to three years and now we're unpaused. People are looking at the cost of living, 
their loans having to be repaid. And that stress is like adding up and, and it shows up at work. And so I was thinking about this a lot as I was like preparing for our conversation today, like what we what I want to talk about and and how, but how have you seen our role as HR practitioners to actually evolve and care more about well-being than ever before? Because it feels like in the past, it wasn't a focus. It wasn't. But I think, again, you got to go back to the origins of the profession. The origins of our profession mm-hmm. was one that was administrative in nature. Yeah. They needed someone. If you go back to early on and before HR was even HR, it was called personnel. And it was birthed out of this environment where administration and compliance essentially had a baby called personnel. The idea there was like, how do you do the things like who's tracking when people punch the clock? Yeah. And so the 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 profession itself has evolved from being administrative and compliance driven, from being personnel driven, from being employee satisfaction driven, from being human resources driven. There's so, still some companies out there that are focused on employee engagement. And I'm like, that's not enough anymore. You got to you got to talk about fulfillment. How fulfilled are people in the workplace? The more you are fulfilled, the more impact you can create. And for those that are like Donald, like I don't really get the whole squishy, feel good type stuff. Okay, cool. Let's just talk about profitability. Do you think someone who's stressed out is going to be able to drive more revenue and profit for your organization or someone who's at ease and at peace? Ease and peace. Right? So- That's why I've always focused on, I've tried to over-index on what is the environment that we're creating, right? And some of my favorite coaches in life have always been women, like particularly in in this profession, but even outside of this profession, folks like Pat Summit, who notable college basketball coach for Tennessee. If you go look at Carol Lawson now and what she's doing with Duke women's basketball, it's because she comes from the Pat Summit tree. There was just a certain environment that she created. Kara tells this story where she was basically about to get down on herself on something and she didn't want to like speak up because she disagreed with something Pat was saying. And Pat was like, no, that's why you're here. I didn't bring you here for you just to agree with everything. If you believe there's a better way for us to run a certain scheme for us to win games, you need to say that. And so what she was doing was empowering her voice. Now look where that young lady's voice is like empowering so many others as a head of basketball herself. And so for me, the the environment that you create is important. And I think it creates an opportunity for people to truly be able to live up to their full selves. Not like the way a lot of people are like, oh, let people be their most authentic self. Because that's not real. Like, no offense, some of y'all can't handle my most authentic self. So (laughs) Definitely not mine, to be clear. (laughs) Not mine either. Yeah, not mine. And, and and honestly, they're not not a, not every environment is worthy of your authenticity. Yep, I was going to say that next. I love that you brought up basketball. That's my favorite sport. I don't know if you knew that about me. I played for seven years. I have been five, six and a half since I was like ten or twelve, and then nobody was as tall as me, and then everyone outgrew me, so I stopped playing. But I still shoot hoops sometimes. I haven't in a while because they shut down my court near me in D.C. But it's like it was my favorite pastime. Being a part of a team feels so good. And when you have that motivational coach who's creating that environment for you to thrive in, it's such a different experience than when you have that coach that just makes you run suicides until you throw up. Like 
the difference is night and day. And it's like up thinking about that in the workplace too is super impactful. So what do you think employees need to thrive at work? Whew, that's, I mean, that that's like a whole episode. It's a loaded itself. question. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. Pick like one or two things. If you had to pick your top two. I'll focus on both inside the workplace and outside the workplace. Probably I'll bucket it that way. I think outside the workplace, you have to limit the amount of worries that can truly be solved by the company. So like if mm. people have to worry about the safety money. of their children, money, like being air compensation, they have to worry about if their kid gets sick, can they cover their medical costs, health costs? Even now, like there's been, while there's been a decline in uh, birth starts or family starts, the average family size now is 1.8. So we don't see the same. Yeah, it's not even two yet. It's 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 different. This is why multifamily. I'm one of four. Are, right. Oh, see, so you're one of four. I'm one of four. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of four was fun. Yeah, one of four was fun. But like now, the average the average home size is 1.8, and so multifamily's skyrocketing because they need more places to house all these various individuals. I think the the difference though now is like that means that you're going to see if people want to start families, it's going to be later in life. So things like fertility is important. You we, you and I talked about this off camera around how mu much longer people are living, but like menopause is real. Like you got to be able to offer solutions there. Low testosterone is real. You got to be able to offer solutions there. Um, we have seen a surge in pets. Pet ownership is up. So like pet insurance. We all need comfort. Yeah, we, well, we all need comfort, right? So pet insurance. I, my, I've always tried to take an inventory of what is the lifestyles of the employees we have at the organization and then try to tailor the essentials we give them to help them thrive around what they have. And that's going to change. Like when I was at Equifax, the average age of employees was 46. The average age here at Greenhouse, it ranges between 28 and 29. It's a little, it's like 28.4. Wild, right? That's, that's wild. So that is wild. That's Oh, I remember those days. Yeah. So, you, so to me, you you have to constantly be evolving what you offer um, your employees to help them thrive. So that's the things I think help them outside of work. But when they show up inside of work, like whether that's hybrid, remote, in person, whatever you have for your own respective organizations, I do think there's certain essentials that people need. I think people need transparency. If you can't be transparent on all things, you got to let people know what are off limits. Yep. Be transparent about the things that are off limits. It, it helps people out. But people are afraid of that. But I say like there are hard and fast lines as an organization of like the things we're going to talk about. Like we're not going to tell you why we had to terminate someone. Like I just think like that's that's really no one's business other than the person impacted, honestly. But okay. I think a lot of people are like always surprised when I say like, we're, that's something we're not going to talk about. They're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you don't get to know everything. And also I'm allowed to have my boundary of we're not going to tell you that thing. Like that's, I think that's the thing about transparency. People get the most wrong as employees think, oh, we are a transparent organization. You'll tell me everything. And it's like, no, we'll tell you some things. Everything's impossible. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I think companies have to do a better job defining what they're transparent on, though. And yeah. I think Mark Efren calls this uh, talent philosophy. So we built one for Greenhouse around how do cool. you think about performance and behaviors? 
How do you differentiate in people's development based on their performance? How do you hold people accountable? And then what are you going to be transparent about? I think he says only 30% of organizations even have a talent philosophy. And so what ends up happening is you haven't set the parameters or the guardrails for how the company operates. And so employees, if they're leading with curiosity, which is what we want them to do in their jobs, now they're going to lead with curiosity around, well, why aren't you transparent about that and transparent about that? So I do think we have to set those guardrails. I think the other thing that people need though now though is you have to be socially aware. And a lot of, I know a lot of people were like, oh, emotional intelligence. And like, yeah, I believe you got to be, there's a certain value to EQ, but there's just like social intelligence. Like, I don't know if you have employees in one particular area and there's like a shooting in that area, mm-hmm. you should probably, you know, check on people in that area, have some type of message for them to let you know that you're like socially aware. That's important. Our head of idea, Jamie Adasi, she was like, hey, it's an election year. Like, she's going to hate this story, but she's going to like it at the same time. <laughs> she's like, oh, my goodness. Don't hate me. She's like, it's an election year. And she lives like right outside the D.C. area. And she's like, what are we going to do? It's an election year. Like, what about our employees? I'm like, time out. I don't like the framing. Every year is an election year. Yeah. Oh, every year is an election year. And the results of that election impact your employees differently depending on where they live. So we, first of all, let's change the framing and think about, okay, what are we doing for our employees every year that they may inherit folks that are supposed to be mouthpieces for their community? And they may not know how to deal with that because at least in America, 70% of the folks that we send to Washington, they started locally. So we should think about reframing that conversation, right? And I don't care what people fall in the political continuum. That's less of my importance. But like the stress that people have around elections, those elections happen every year, depending on where you live. And just seeing that unlock for her was like, oh my goodness, this is the social aware. I was like, yeah, this is the socially aware. Like our social intelligence has to go up to know it's not just about the world is not just centered on every four year presidential elections in just the United States. That is not the real world. Yeah, but what about HR people who like are already have no team or like bandwidth to devote to social issues like that? They just can't. I know some people who don't read the news, which is like honestly mind boggling to me because I worked at a news organization. So I read the news like every day and I still do. But there are some HR people that are like, I can't care about one more thing because I'm already so short staffed. How do you solve for that piece when that social awareness is so important because the things that are impacting us outside of work also very really show up at work too. I have three things I would say. I think one, they're going to like. One, <laughs> they will agree with. And one, they're not going to be able to stand. They're not going to like it. It's going to be controversial. So the one thing wait. I think people will like is I have empathy for people who have real bandwidth and capacity constraints, particularly in environments where either you're looking to scale and the company is not prioritizing the people function because they're trying to prioritize other areas of the business that they believe will help accelerate revenue and profitability. Like my heart goes out to you. I also have empathy for people who may be working for CEOs who may not understand the value that the people function can unlock. Again, I have empathy for you. Let's talk offline. I'm happy to encourage you and and give you some resources, which leads me to the second thing I think they'll agree with. 
our profession doesn't do a, a good enough job sharing our resources. Mm-hmm. Like we just don't. Like you think about some of these crises. These crises are are affecting, particularly now where we have more hybrid and remote work, distributed work present in the workplace than we've ever seen in the in humanity. Yeah, there's not a place where we share this, and so. We got to figure out how do we share those resources, particularly for those folks we were just talking about that may be bandwidth and capacity constrained. Like we got to figure that out as a profession. There's a few of us that have been getting together trying to do that. Folks like Kira Alamano at Lattice. So we're trying to figure out like, how do we do this and resource this in a meaningful way that if you're truly a bandwidth capacity perspective, you could still tap into the resources that you need. But there's a third thing I think some people are going to be offended by, which some of y'all don't need to be in the people function no more. Like you, <laughs> I'm, I'm just out it. Just you can leave. You can leave. Like yeah, like they don't want to embrace the responsibility that comes with like the the new mm. skills that are required out, that are table stakes. Like again, I go back to sports, right? So like there was a time where shooting a three pointer was like an outlier. Not anymore. Thank you, Steph Curry. Like, it's not an that outlier. That was my best. That's where, I, that's where I thrived. That's where you thrived, right? And so what are the three pointers today in our people function? I don't know. Empathy, social intelligence, understanding the connection between people decisions and business outcomes. These are table stakes now for people that are like, oh, I don't want to read the news. Okay, you don't have to read the news, but you better know what's happening outside of the workplace because it's affecting the people when they show up inside the workplace. How can you be the person who shepherds the things that allow them to thrive and excel if you don't know the things that are headwinds and detriments outside of the workplace constraining them from thriving and excelling? You can't be that shepherd. So if that's you, check out, leave, like leave the profession. If you don't want to live up to that responsibility, leave the profession. Let the rest of us who are excited about waking up every day. And yeah, we're also equally stressed. (laughs) Yes. Right? But but we understand the responsibility that we have. But you're making our jobs harder because you're not living up to that responsibility. And look, this also is going to be controversial, but I'm tired of inheriting your damaged talent. I'm tired of it. Like, you keep damaging people in your environment, and then when they land where we are, like, they're once bitten, twice shy. And so I got to work overtime and my team has to work overtime because of damage you allowed to happen on your watch. So check out, leave the profession. We will groom and develop your replacement. But if you're truly from a constraint, you don't have the resources, I have empathy for you. Reach out to me. We'll figure out how we can do some real knowledge here. I love that. I always tell people too, the other thing is like, if you don't like conflict, you shouldn't be in HR. I just think that there's very conflict pieces of our job that we have to check people's biases. We have to have hard conversations. We have to tell people things they don't want to hear. And I just feel like a lot of people just don't like conflict, so they avoid it, but then it ends up having such an impact on the environment. And I'm like, what are you doing if the responsibility of this job is so massive and can have such an impact that when you don't do the hard thing, you're stopping all the good things from happening. Agreed. It's like, if you don't know what's happening in the world, how are you going to support these people that are very really experiencing things outside of work? Totally agree with you. I, I had a leader, phenomenal at 
operational excellence and execution, but would allow any types of behaviors to happen on their watch. Mm -hmm. And I saw the morale of their team decline to the point that when talking to them, I'm like, look, this is not good. And they end up departing. And when talking to their team post their departure, as you can imagine, one of my concerns was like, oh my goodness, like operational excellence, execution. I think the world of this person, but this is where they had a deficiency. And people on their team came to me and were like, oh no, we're thriving now. <laughs> like See? that was an issue. And mind you, this is a company I would go speak at. This wasn't even my company. I'm coming to speak there and I connect with their team. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, so I went back to that CPO and I was like, you made the right call. Mm-hmm. You made the right call. Tough call, but you made the right one. You have to be able to be mindful of the environment that we're creating. And if you allow bad behaviors to be present on your watch, that also is adversely impacting the environment. So, The world of work has changed for good, but many HR performance management tools just don't cut it. Enabling performance in the modern world of work requires a modern approach, one that's agile and asynchronous, but still fosters connection and collaboration. Have you heard about PI Inspire? It was designed specifically for today's performance management challenges. It helps you gain a deep understanding about yourself and your team and share personalized insights to help you learn how to manage and develop each direct report. Meet people where they are and start developing new leaders at every level. Learn more about PI Inspire at www.predictiveindex.com. Celebrating every occasion from work anniversaries to birthdays and holidays shouldn't be stressful for HR teams. You need a platform that makes gifting easy and enables you to send gifts to your employees, customers, and everyone in between. You need Snappy. Have a gift in mind? They've got it. Love the idea of a gift collection for your recipients to choose their favorite item? Look no further. Want swag your employees will actually love? Snappy can make that a reality. Snappy creates a gifting experience that's just as unique as your recipients, and they can make it happen in a snap. Don't wait until March 1st to remember it's Employee Appreciation Day. Sign up for free and start gifting today at www.snappy.com slash I hate it here. I love that you said I'm tired of inheriting your damaged talent because I feel that so deeply. I feel like I I start in the negative with every employee I've ever encountered. Every employee I've ever encountered, like the first, the last two jobs I've started on my very first day, I've said, they've been like, oh, our new HR leader is here. And in the chat, in the comments on like the Zoom, while I'm introducing myself, two two times now, someone has said, oh, HR is here. We can't have any more fun. Exactly. <laughs> and I literally read it live and I was like, just to be clear, like I'm all for having fun. I am not for harassing or hurting our employees. So like, if that's your definition of fun, then yeah, we're not going to have fun here anymore. Yeah. And people were like, oh, fuck. Like, what? And I was like, what What do you want me to do? Like, I'm already starting at such a negative with people. Even when I meet people in the world who are like, oh, what do you do? You're so nice. You're so funny. And I'm like, oh, I work in HR. They're like, oh. And I'm like, why is that your response? Like, I, this is a really hard job. But like, I also am trying to do good in the world. So I'm with you on the inheriting damaged talent because- I feel like I'm always trying to climb a hill with some employees who just never want to trust me and know that I care about them. Like, I feel like when I'm trying to tell employees I care about them, it's like I actively have to convince them I do care about you. And that's why I do all these things. I joked a couple of weeks back on the state of people that HR means huge responsibility. 
I, I don't yeah. know a function who has a bigger responsibility than we are, especially in the middle of the deficit. Like, I mean, in the middle of not deficit, it is a deficit right now too, but in the middle of the <laughs> Yeah. In the middle of, I, I just don't know. And that's not an indictment on other people's professions. That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe over the last two to three years, the responsibility that we have in shepherding culture and people I don't know a profession who's had to live up to a higher bar or a higher standard like at all. Salespeople, they're missing their numbers still around. CS, <laughs> watching people like literally watching customers not be retained. Most of them are still yeah. around. Sure. But yeah. let the people team get one thing wrong. <laughs> Rub people the wrong way one time. And that's not an indictment on other professions because I have friends in those professions. So like Same. I appreciate the support and encouragement I get from those folks. But like we have to figure out how do we reframe like the way we take care of what most people call a thankless job. Like, get, yeah. Think about that. The most expensive line item on a, at a business is also is their the greatest people? asset, which is people. Yep. And if the people responsible for leading that function, you say that job is thankless. Okay. Reframe that, people, please. <laughs> is I, I think it's wild. I always tell people, and I meet a lot of CEOs in the wild too, and they're like, oh, you work in HR? Like, I'm thinking about hiring an HR person. And I always say the same thing. After your IP, your most important asset is your people. The person directly responsible for that is your head of people and your chief people officer. Like, they can make or break your company. And if you have somebody who's wants to take your company into the future, wants to show your employees they care. I guarantee you, we all know the studies, the more engaged they are, the more productive and profitable your company is going to be. So why so often are we not given the authority and the respect we clearly deserve? Yeah. Well, I agree with you. Again, I think part of this is the evolution of the function, right? So a part of me is yeah. like, a third of me is like the evolution of the function there was a conversation Kara did from Lattice with uh, their founder, Jack Altman, brother of Sam mm -hmm. Altman from OpenAI. Yeah. And he was like, CPOs are the new COOs. And I couldn't agree with him more in the sense that very few functions operationally touch every layer of the organization the way people do. So I think there's an evolution of the function. And I think there's a new wave of CEOs that understand how having a, a phenomenal head of people can be an accelerant to not only the financial metrics of the business, but also to scaling the culture the way it's supposed to. That's the first third. I think there's a second third around why we may feel thankless or devalued, which is like, I don't know if we've done a good job praising imperfection. Mm. Like the people team is always, like no one comes to work and says you can't pay everybody on time, their accurate pay, right? Like, think about yeah. that. Like, product teams, they roll out new features. Some of the features need to be debugged afterwards. <laughs> yeah, we're not debugging payroll because don't we don't mess with people's payroll. money. You don't debug promotion. And so, like, part of this is, like, we got to get comfortable with imperfection. When I look at my benchmarks and my achievements for my performance rubric and my CEO's like, yeah, you achieve 92%. I'm excited because I'm like, yeah, I got 92% in this climate with those attitudes, <laughs> with those crises. Honestly, it's, that's an achievement. Yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah, I got 92%. 92, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's an A. 
So we got to be comfortable with imperfection. I think the last one, though, goes back to the bad actors, which are like, there's people who share our titles that just make our job hard. And like our CEOs and our boards, they talk to one another. So like they're trying to figure out very similar to the people that when you first joined your org and they're like, oh, HR is here. They're trying to figure out like, which one are you? <laughs> like, mm. are you one we can actually believe in? Do you make data-driven decisions? Are you actually understanding what's happening outside of the world and making sure that that helps influence the decisions you make inside the workplace? Like they're trying to figure out which one are you? Are you dialed in? Or are you aloof? Like they want to know. And I think that's why I ask those folks, like, please do me. A I will throw your retirement party. But please <laughs> leave the prof You're making our jobs hard. You are. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of people that don't get it. Like I, I get um, at least like once a month, I get an email from someone that's like, I hate the name of your newsletter. I hate that it is called. I hate it here. And every time I'm like, if you read the newsletter, you would understand the reason it's called that is because it's a deep fear of mine that an employee says that. And it's a real sentiment a lot of people feel at work. And the whole newsletter is about building environments that people don't hate. And so I just, I think about that a lot too, where people are like, I just, I hate that you call it that. And I'm like, we are trying to make work better. There are a lot of us. It feels like a growing movement of people that are like, this sucks, but we are all committed to pushing it into the future and making it better with the idea that it'll be better for us as practitioners and also the employees who at I, the end of the day, we give like every care to. And we need, first of all, don't ever change the name in the newsletter. I don't care who told you that. Um, <laughs> Don't ever change it. At least this culture now is so soundbite driven. So they'll read that and then not actually do the homework on why it's called. I hate it here. Like just, just, yeah. just let me say this is also going to be controversial. Like I love, <laughs> I like technologies advancements. I think AI is going to allow people to be more fulfilled in their work by removing a lot of the mundane tasks that they don't have to, that they don't necessarily get excited about hopefully. But like, AI can't do all your homework. Like take some effort and like maybe just read why the newsletter is called I Hate It Here and it'll save you the effort of reaching out to Heba. It'll also save Heba the effort of responding to your lack of like intentionalness. Like don't be lazy. People lazy now. There's too many people that are lazy. Like there was somebody, Mita wrote a phenomenal article around DE&I and I talked about the soundbite that people were have been running off with, which is like Elon Musk saying DI must DIE. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but he doesn't really believe that. And they were like, what do you mean? Like, he doesn't believe that. I know he's a controversial person in the world right now, yeah. but like, just do <laughs> your homework. Go to his board. Go look at his board. His Tesla's board, very diverse. He's not an idiot. He knows diversity of thought drives creativity and innovation and innovation drives revenue and profits. He knows that. That's how he was able to amass the amount of wealth that he has. So don't be fooled by a soundbite. Just do some homework. Like, don't be lazy. And I think what we're getting to is like in our profession, there's people that are just so tired because of the responsibility that they're okay with getting lazy. I'm telling you, Donald, I in my <laughs> I know I know we already talked about this before we hit record, but I just want to know what it feels like one day to not care. I like actively am working on the fact that I care so much that I will run my body into the ground trying to make it better because I don't know how to turn off the ability to care so much. 
Yeah, but I told you a story on that. You did. You want to tell it here? <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't mind. I'm not going to say her name, but there's a retirement home for elderly folks that I volunteer at. And the young lady that I spend the most time with, I still think she's young. She's seasoned, but she's young. Um, <laughs> she's blind. And one of the hardest things that she talks about in her, and if you talk to her now, is that she remembers when she was young and she had the ability to see. And like that is what she's torn with, like not being able to see emotions, like smiles on people's faces, but she remembers what that felt like or the joy of seeing like foliage in the fall. Like she doesn't have that anymore. And what I told you off camera is the same thing I'll tell you on camera, which is like, you feel that way, but I hope that never happens for you. I hope you never get the benefit of not caring because right now you can see. That's why yeah. you care. You see people for who they truly are and that's why you care. And for the people who are like, to your point, they don't care. It's because they've never had the ability to see. They don't know the joy it feels when you're able to shift an environment where people can really live up to who they are. We got a phenomenal VP of people's success. He gets amped up. He and the director she gets amped up when she sees people go through development pro uh, programs that yeah. they put on and they see the new skills that they gain along the way. It's because they care. They can see, they see people. And so like, I never want you, them, or even myself at times, I never want us to lose that ability because if we ever lose that ability, I guarantee you, we will miss it. Yeah. We will miss it. It's a, it's a responsibility though. <laughs> It is. And it's a responsibility to take care of myself too, which I don't think I do a good job at, or a lot of people do a good job. A lot of HR practitioners, I think just like will give their all, burn themselves out and then be like, but I couldn't change everything. And it's coming back to that imperfection piece you said, like 92% is still great. We can't always be at a hundred. Everything can't always go perfectly. We have to be okay with imperfections. And yep. I think that's like a good reminder for anyone listening. Like, and when I make a mistake, I'm like, whoops, I made a mistake. But like, it's taken me a long time to get here to say like, I made a mistake. This thing wasn't perfect that I did. And it just took practice and comfort, honestly. Like I feel very psychologically safe with my founders. So I can say things like I messed that up or I dropped the ball or I made a mistake. So a lot of people don't have that. Okay. I want to end on a more positive note. I'm just kidding. No, this whole thing has been like therapeutic for me, honestly. I'm going to listen to this when it comes out and probably cry. Um, okay. As we look towards the future, I don't want to say the future of work because I really hate that. Are there any trends or innovations you think HR will actually contribute significantly to the lasting care and thriving of employees? I think this is going to be more around the human skills mm. that historically have been called soft, which <laughs> there's nothing soft about being human. Yeah. That same woman I was telling you about, she says, if you live a long time, you've had to be very strong. The joy of old age is, is rooted in strength. And so I think the human skills is where you have to cultivate those things in order to have the strength to be able to live a long time. And so what do I mean by that? Like empathy was not talked about in the workplace before. Transparency was not talked about in the workplace before vulnerability come on like what <laughs> that wasn't talked about. authenticity was not talked about people talk about this idea around belonging 
And I know a lot of people place emphasis on belonging, but like, honestly, some of us don't belong in some of the environments that we keep working at. And so I think the human skills that we got to cultivate moving forward is how do you empower talent enough where they will intentionally bankrupt companies that have environments where humans don't belong? Like literally, I want to see those companies close up shop. Like I, I dream of this world of where the status quo of how you treat people is heightened from what we inherited. And the major driver for me in that is my kids, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a 13 year old son. I have a little girl on the way who I can't wait <laughs> for her to hang out with. Auntie Heba is going to be freaking out. Oh my um, God. Yeah. But like, I feel like I have a responsibility to change that dynamic. And I think the human skills are going to be there. And oh, by the way, the most non-diverse role on the planet is the role of the CEO. And so if you're a CEO and you're listening and you're thinking about how can you stand out in a herd full of predominantly men, just be human, just care. There's some CEOs that I think have nailed this really, really well. And I tip my hat to those folks. I think Ken Chenault from American Express, he nailed it before he left. I know for a fact at Greenhouse, Daniel Chay cares. Even if we disagree at times, I know he cares. Uh, Jack Altman, before he hired Sarah Franklin to be his successor at Lattice. Yeah. It's very clear to me that he cares. Sam Altman, I know you said we're not going to talk about AI, but shout outs to Sam. When your employees are willing to sign a petition that they will quit the company because you unsuccessfully and disrespectfully ousted a CEO who cares, that's what happens. Like, in my opinion, that if the wild. people are willing to revolt for the leader, that's how you know the leader truly cares. Yeah. That was wild. Well, I was like, well, this is unprecedented. Unprecedented. They signed it like all of them were willing to walk. And I'm like, how? It was just a lesson in one, I also agree, true leadership, loyalty, and the power employees really have. Agreed. But people are not loyal to people who don't treat them the right way. Yep. Yeah, there's treat- plenty of other CEOs who have been ousted, <laughs> and people clap. And people say, "Sign petition." <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Can I sign the petition to see them go? Yes, sign me yeah. up. <laughs> so I think there's a new wave of CEOs that are here. Carla Vernon from Honest Company. She's another one I think is just thought provoking, but it's changing. Like if you listen to this conversation with me, Heba, and you feel like man, this guy Donald sounds overly optimistic. That's not how the real world feels like right now. I understand why you feel that way, right? The other thing I told Heba off camera was we both spent time living in the 757. If you don't know 757, it's the area code for like Virginia Beach, Newport News, Suffolk, Hampton, Chesapeake. Who else? Portsmouth. Portsmouth. There we go. All seven cities. Um, And there's this road. There's this road and this huge structure. The road is called 264. No, the road is called 64, and 64. the structure is HRBT, which is the Hampton Bridge Road, uh, Hampton Bridge, Hampton Roads Bridge right. Tunnel. Yeah. And it's always backed up. There's always cars. It's insane to go through. <laughs> like, no matter when you time it, it's always traffic. 
There's never been less than a three mile backup in this tunnel in my entire existence. of, And I spent most of my life in Virginia Beach. I have never gone through that tunnel at any hour in the day. And there hasn't been a three mile backup. Yes. There's always traffic. Now, as you're approaching the tunnel because of the, the traffic, you get excited because you're about to get in. You're like, oh, my goodness, look how much closer to the tunnel I have gotten. But when you're in the middle of the tunnel and you don't see the sunlight behind you, you don't see the entrance and you don't see the the exit anywhere in sight, that's when people get the most frustrated. It's the darkest place in the tunnel and they lose perspective that they're actually closer to the end of the tunnel because they allow what they see around them to frustrate them, which is a bunch of cars, a bunch of frustration, a bunch of congestion, and it's dark. That's where we are right now. And so if you feel that way, about humanity, if you feel that way about work and you're like, yeah, I want to thrive and lead with care, but like, I don't really feel that TLC right now. I get it. You're in the middle of the tunnel. We as a society and as humanity, we're in the middle of the tunnel right now. But I promise you all, we are closer to the end of that tunnel. The generations that are walking into leadership roles now, the generations that are being handed the baton now, those folks are going to help usher in a better society. By 2030, we'll see uh, 30% of the workforce will be populated by Gen Z. If you think they came to play around, they are not coming to play around. They will help shift positive dynamics inside of the workplace. So hang in there. If you need some encouragement, reach out to Heba, reach out yeah. uh, to me. Come find but, us. Yeah, we're we're getting there. We're closer to the end. And where I feel like. That was very optimistic. This is going to give me hope for the future because I do sometimes tend to be pessimistic in the middle of the tunnel being like, I'm surrounded by shit. Everything is shit. How do I get out of this shit? And now I'm like, maybe I'm just in the tunnel. I'm going to think of that. I'm going to think about that to myself like every time I'm really frustrated, Donald, because you're right. Like we are so much closer and Gen Z, as terrifying as they used to be to me, I'm actually like just really excited about what they stand for because we are going to have to change our companies which will hopefully change society as well, by the demands that they are making of us. And I hate when people are like, Gen Z is so annoying. I'm like, they're not. They're asking for like basic core minimum things, boundaries in the workplace, growth paths, compensation that is fair and equitable. They're asking for things that all of us probably actually want. We're just too afraid to say it. And they're saying it to all of us. Agreed. I'm excited. Little underscore retweet. I am... uh... With my daughter on the way, watching my wife go through pregnancy for the second time has been very eye-opening for me. Like the first time I was so young, I was so focused on like, get the baby here already. Like I want to like hang out with my kid. (laughs) And like with this one, I'm actually enjoying the journey because I had another CPO tell me this. She was like, enjoy this moment because if you don't plan on having any additional kids, this is your last first. Like my mind went crazy. Like what? She was like, yeah, you're having a series of last first. And so you oh. need to embrace them. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, it, me chills. <laughs> yeah. So that one was from shares. I really appreciate her for like pointing that out to me. But what I'm mindful of is like, whenever you're birthing something new, the hardest part is right before the baby arrives. Of this dark point that we have where they're in the middle of the tunnel and you're like, oh my goodness, but listen, look at the news or look at the election or look at, those are contractions. They're just contractions. Because <laughs> what we're about to birth as a new normal in the workplace and in society, there's more pain at the end of that, of that process. It's okay. 
I promise you, the bundle of joy that we are birthing for workplaces and for humans beyond 2024 is going to be amazing. They will write history books about the people leaders who lived up to the responsibilities of today and really set the foundation in motion for people to no longer say, I hate it here. So. Oh my God, I'm so hyped. We have to end on that note. <laughs> that was so good. That was, I, just, I have chills. I'm like, I'm not well right now. So we have to end there, Donald, because I don't know if I can take any more. The optimism, I'm so ready. I'm like ready to hang up this call and be like, now I have to go fix the five things I said I was going to fix today because it's important to me and it's important to the people and I care about these people. Okay, for those that are trying to get in touch with you, I know you're on LinkedIn, but like any any other way they can reach you. They want to connect with you, learn more about you, be your best friend. Any social platform, I'm Proximity Night. Proximity spelled exactly how it sounds. My last name is Knight with a K. And then if you want to email me directly, I'm only doing this because it's Heba, but I'll give oh you my, my email. Don't do this. Donald.knight at greenhouse.com. Reach out to me. I'm happy to connect. Heba, thank you for this platform and this space. You are a pioneer. You don't even know it. Oh my God. Wow. This has been the best episode I've ever recorded. I feel so full of like joy and light. And Donald, thank you for being a real one. Honestly, the second I met you and we roast, you roasted me, I did not roast back. But then we found out we both are very authentic and genuine. And I'm, I'm grateful for like any room I'm in with you because I know you're just pushing people forward. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh my God. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It Here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.